The concept of flexible space continues to gain popularity as businesses recognise the advantages of a more agile and cost-effective approach to office space. Attractions include the additional variety that such space brings to the office market, allowing businesses to scale their requirements up or down quickly and take advantage of additional hospitality amenity. Versatility, scalability and location are some of the key features and benefits, particularly in the post-pandemic era of hybrid working. So just how does flexible workspace enhance the offer of an office building? And how does it drive value to occupiers and employees? In this episode of the EG Property Podcast, produced in conjunction with flexible workspace operator SpaceMade, we explore SpaceMade's recent research into the Flex Premium and the future of the workplace in creating dynamic work environments that can evolve and foster collaboration, innovation, and productivity among employees. I'm Jess Harold, and I'm joined by SpaceMade co-founder Johnny Rosenblatt. Say hello, Johnny. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, as well as Emma Swinnerton, international partner and head of Flexible Ro- Workspace, EMEA at Cushman and Wakefield. Say hello, Emma. Hi. And Simon Rowley, Director of Office Leasing and Flexible Leasing at GPE. Say hello, Simon. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm sure Emma and Simon will be champing at the bit to join the discussion. But Johnny, let's start with you and dive straight into SpaceMade's report on this Flex Premium. Can you talk me through the key findings of your report and give some insights into that premium that Flex Office Space provides for building owners? Yeah, absolutely. We carried out this report because we were curious to understand the effective premium that flex space brings to a building, whether that's in a mixed use scheme or whether that's a flex space in its entirety. At SpaceMade, we operate buildings alongside landlords and building owners. And so we wanted to really kind of quantify what that relationship looks like in terms of kind of working with our landlord partners. Valuation methodology tends to lag a little bit further behind it was important for us to kind of understand what the market really feels so we went out and spoke to a whole array of different stakeholders so developers asset managers building owners as well as agents a mixture within the kind of flex world and the non-flex world and we asked just a series of kind of relatively simple questions but to try and gauge the appetite for flex space and Our findings were sort of relevant to what we feel we see across the market, but actually this kind of growth of flex has brought so much benefit to to wider buildings. And I think there's a few elements that that we kind of notice. I mean, first things first, we noticed really that according to agents and building owners, really over over three quarters of tenants are willing to pay more for flex space in in, in a building. And I think what we're starting to see is that incorporating flex workspace into office assets increases the overall rental income on average by about 20 to 25%. Across our kind of surveyed building owners, two thirds started to see overall rental increases if once their asset had adopted flex space. And I think sort of quite importantly, what we're seeing is not just the financial benefit, but a wider benefit what we see is flex that is an amenity for a bigger asset starts to drive that value on traditional leasing as well, but also enhances the sense of community, enhances that kind of desire to get to the office. I think what everyone across the office market feels is a need to attract users to the office. This is not, uh, it's been well documented, well discussed, but this is not just about ensuring that people come to the office because they're contractually obliged. We're now competing with home, 
We're competing with all sorts of office products in the market, and we, we need to bring people to the office for a reason. So the amenity that Flexspace can deliver, the hospitality element that we're really fixated on, those pieces really start to drive the value and then drive the benefits of incorporating Flexspace. And I think, I think when we spoke to agents as well, we started to see that there was a trend kind of pretty concurrent with what we're seeing. We sort of noticed that agent response was that on average tenants will be willing to pay approximately five to 15% more when a building has flex space. And actually two thirds of agents say that a building incorporating flex space tends to let for a premium by comparison to a traditional kind of regular leased building. That's a nice summary of those major findings. So let's bring Emma and Simon in at this point. How do your experiences sort of mesh with with those findings and and what are your thoughts on the way that flexible workspace can enhance the offer of an office building? And maybe you can each outline the approaches that C&W and GPE take in this area. Sure. Um, Well, a couple of things. I think just picking up on one of the points that Johnny made is with regard to the community aspect of what Flex can bring to a building. I think one of the things a number of operators reported during the pandemic was that they were actually seeing higher occupancy or usage of their spaces than some of the traditional tenants in a building. And I think that's because people are going there for more than just bricks and mortar. It is around the additional services and it's importantly around the networking and the community. Often um, you've got much smaller businesses that are are operating in flex spaces and they need that wider network and interaction with the other tenants of the space to kind of help their business growth and and development and and innovation really. I think just being a bit more specific about Cushman and Wakefield, my team we tend to advise a lot of landlords and investors around their flexible workspace strategy. So obviously we're sitting alongside a number of clients at the moment who are looking at bringing flex into their um, buildings so we're certainly seeing this as on the increase and particularly in those kind of large multi-tenanted buildings where I would completely agree with what Johnny said is you know around I think there will come a stage where it almost becomes a necessity to have that amenity in those buildings and a number of occupier clients are actually kind of demanding that so when they're touring the traditional space one of the questions they're asking of the landlord is well what flex are you having in the building what operator are you bringing in how, how does that play into the wider amenity space I I think a topic to come back to maybe later on in the discussion is more around how that's actually delivered because we're sort of definitely seeing some changes in terms of those kind of structures but also some I think challenges from a landlord's perspective about how, how they're delivering that and so from my perspective picking up on what Emma just said we're a central London only property owner so we own and manage about two billion pounds worth of property in central London And we offer two types of spaces. One is HQ space, so building sort of large developments for the likes of Clifford Chance and definitely can come back to what I'm seeing from from sort of larger office occupiers and what they're looking for. And they're definitely looking for more flexible workspace. But the second focus for us is on flexible workspace that we provide either one through a specialist, such as both Johnny and Emma can provide, accessing the smaller size customer, typically up to sort of 10 person businesses, or an area that we're increasingly focused on is our fully managed product, where we are letting whole floors and providing all the service and the hassle-free 
enjoyment that a lot of customers are now seeking, but with the reliability and the privacy of their own floor delivered by the owner of the building. And and so we're, we're definitely leaning into the trends that both Johnny and Emma have mentioned, but they are mutually beneficial. So we definitely see that by engaging with customers early in their journey, and if they're growing, there's an ability for, for our HQ developments to be the end journey for these customers, and that that's actually you know, how we can grow customers within our portfolio. And that's the exciting thing for us. We've got something called Customer First, which is an approach that we're taking where everything we do, we're looking at through the lens of the customer. And I think the real estate industry generally hasn't been very good at that flexible workspace and the hospitality has definitely you know, shone a light on the deficiencies of, of our industry. And we feel that there is a really exciting opportunity for some genuine brand loyalty. And we can hopefully help some of these customers grow into our space and be long-term customers for us. Okay, so against that background that you've all outlined, obviously 2020 and 2021 would have been very challenging for the sector as, as it was for, for many sectors, but we're now out the other side of that and last month we, we reported on a recent CBRE report that uh, suggested that demand for flexible space is very high with, with take-up in London expected to hit 1 million square foot by the end of 2023 and rates rising accordingly. So wh- what are your impressions of the current market as it stands and can supply keep up with demand? This year's been really interesting, actually. I mean, I think the last five months, maybe six months now, we've seen month on month kind of record inquiry levels. And I think that's a reflection of kind of, I suppose, the products that, that we're able to offer, but also that total shift in the direction of flexibility. I, in my view and, and in the view of our team, you know, the only currency that really matters now in office space, commercial real estate, is flexibility. So there are many ways of delivering that, but I think that's really what end users are kind of leaning into. So so we've seen that shift in demand from members, which has been amazing. I think one thing that we did notice though, that probably 2023 by comparison to 22, although a much higher number of inquiries, significantly more, the average inquiry size is slightly smaller. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. One, I suppose there are constraints and economic constraints that this year have brought that, you know, that previous years maybe haven't. Um, so people are kind of being much more cautious with their, their approach. But also, I think what we're seeing is that the the sort of patterns of working behavior have become pretty ensconced in most businesses now. And that kind of the, the debate that we've all been having for the last however many years, feels like decades about <laughs> work from home, return to office. I think the sort of patterns for most companies are relatively, relatively stabilized now. So we're seeing kind of bigger companies taking a smaller footprint because they don't necessarily need to have a desk per person or whatever ratio they used to have. It's become even smaller. So increasingly, we're seeing bigger companies taking access to our space, but a smaller kind of sort of footprint for their office. And then really, as and when they need to bring people in, they're kind of renting space on demand. And to us, that makes perfect sense because you know why would you pay for a commodity that fundamentally you're not going to use 40% mm. of the time. It's actually about sort of using the space when you need it and then 
those times where you've got everyone together, the times where you've got people kind of coming into um, to the office once a week, once a month, once a quarter, you've got these kind of facilities, event spaces, the hospitality drive, all of that is there and available for you. And so we're finding that's becoming a, a pattern of working behavior that our users have become pretty clear about and understanding what they want to do. So it's been quite interesting. So we've seen big spikes in demand, but probably slightly smaller ticket size, which has been a net positive for us. Mm. But it means you have to work harder for, um, for some of these deals now. I think just looking kind of more broadly, when you look at what happens historically to flex in a downturn, it tends to be the part of the sector that is impacted first, but then it also tends to be the part of the sector that recovers mm. quicker. And that's exactly what we saw kind of post-2021, is that the flexible part of the marketplace bounced back quicker than the traditional part of it. I would say in the West End and in London particularly, that market was back to pre-pandemic occupancy levels um, very, very quickly. The city took a little bit longer to recover because there is more space um, there and, and the city itself took a little bit longer to bounce back than the West End um, market generally. I think what's what's really interesting with this is um, actually the growth side of things because you mentioned that there's the, we could be seeing about a million square foot of take up this year. Actually, in the three years before the pandemic, that figure was more like 2 million square foot a year, but primarily that was driven, or a lot of that was driven by WeWork. And obviously what's going on there is, is kind of quite well documented um, at the moment. That said, so I think the growth is kind of more widely distributed across other operators um, in the marketplace, but I think it is more considered growth. So I think both landlords um, and operators are trying to kind of make sure that they're delivering flex spaces in the right places where there is the right customer demand to ensure that that's also commercially viable. I think since COVID, there's been an, an acceleration of the kind of wider trends that you see in, you know, around the globe, you know, one being immediacy, ability, as Johnny mentioned, to have something on demand. It, you can get in most other sort of walks of life. If we wanted to supplement the breakfast that we've all just had, we could, you know, we could tap in onto our phones and probably get something delivered pretty shortly. Now, clearly, real estate has never been as speedy as that. But I think coming out of COVID, the, the ability to take stock of where you're, you are as a company, to look at you know, a flexible workspace that gives you opportunity to, to grow, to stop, you know, that's actually just something that quite a lot of our customers were starting to think about anyway pre-COVID. And so the acceleration post-COVID has definitely been a capital light entry to, to office space, which typically in the past has been very difficult to find, and more choice. So more people um, offering it, you know, the likes of WeWork, as Emma mentioned, but also a lot more of our contemporaries, owners, who are prepared to, to offer something that, that the market is actually really, really wanting. And so we've seen the same kind of growth in inquiries our ambition is to grow our flexible workspace to a million square feet in the next five years which um, would take us to about 40 percent of our overall portfolio so we are really leaning into this swathe of demand and simon you mentioned that that you are london focused but nationally it seems the demand is growing in a similar way uh, are there any particular spots or areas of growth that you've identified in the rest of the uk i, I think 
primarily it's obviously the main city so um kind of big six across the uk it's interesting that manchester and bristol bounce back particularly quickly um as a result of the pandemic some of the others have maybe lagged kind of slightly behind but you're always going to get differences and you're going to get sort of pockets of activity in in different cities one thing that was quite interesting was during the pandemic there was a lot of discussion around is this change in working practices going to drive demand for flexible workspace in kind of smaller locations, more regional towns and cities or tertiary locations? And I think that's a trend that actually we haven't really seen. So when demand has bounced back, it's tend to be back in kind of major cities, CBD locations. And I think the reason for that is because people are generally, um, if they're not in the office, they're generally working from home or there might be some kind of small neighborhood locations and so on that people can use to kind of fill that need. One change that we have seen as well, though, is that some growth in um, new technologies, sort of past products, a bit like you would see in a gym environment, which enables you to kind of go and drop into flexible workspaces on a you know day to day basis, paying for certain amounts of credits, which does kind of facilitate that you know ability to work near home and to pick up on the choice point that Simon mentioned. A lot of them can be quite operator agnostic, so you can pick the flex space that works for you, even if that's part of a wider corporate offering yeah we, we've seen um regions have been really interesting for us we've got um i mean we're, we're we're in leeds and birmingham and both markets have been sort of really successful i think we've seen kind of probably i mean leeds, leeds has been going for for a while since we really started the business and actually sort of post covid we did kind of quite a lot of work on the building we created a really interesting flex um, amenity added a, a really top draw cafe into that building and since then we have we have sat at between 98 100% occupancy the whole way through and been able to drive desk rates consistently and i think the demand um, is really strong in that market and it and continues to be incredibly strong maybe there's a slight undersupply or there has been historically but actually i think there's a there's an, a shift in direction because perhaps pre-covid markets like Leeds were sort of weren't fully educated in the flex market and since it's become kind of the office of choice so so Leeds has been incredibly strong we just opened in Birmingham over the summer you know we opened with close to 50% occupancy as a starting point which is a very strong indicator for us again you know that's been that really is a best-in-class building we're operating kind of 15 to 20% of a brand new uh beautiful building that's just been built uh, by CBRE Investment Management. And, you know, that shift has been really interesting. I think it's one of those spaces that, you know, the flex is an amenity for the wider building as well as an entry point. And much like Simon was saying earlier, I mean, you know, this is this is sort of this is a, a kind of growth within the building and it's a really good opportunity. We operate alongside our landlord partners. So, you know, really the kind of the P&L in effect is owned by the landlord. So those members that are part of our space, there's the opportunity for them to grow within that building and kind of add space as and when they need to, perhaps more traditionally as well. So both those markets, Leeds and Birmingham, have been really strong. I think what's really important about regional markets is the sensitivity of location. It does need to be kind of best in class. I think in a way in London, you can get away with being slightly off pitch sometimes. And I find generally in sort of regional markets you kind of can't you know actually a five minute deviation from the main stretch 
is can be everything. Actually. I guess that's the, maybe to do with transport network. No, I think and the, so. I the, think the that's existence right. of the tube in London exactly. opens up more. Exactly. More Although, uh, interestingly, the um, without question, there is a bifurcation in London between the best and the rest. Mm. You know, we've seen that on across all of our office sort of offers. Um, particularly HQ but it's because of what we've been talking about earlier you've got to earn the commute it's mm. got to be worth coming into and that means you know, customers are looking for terraces you know the highest ESG credentials but they also want this flexibility and amenity which is why the flexible workspace provision is such an interesting and sort of burgeoning part of the market I'm sure we'll come on to e ESG in a minute and, and other trends but one thing Johnny you mentioned how uh, a lot of occupiers have settled into their their, their policy now of hybrid working and it, it, I think we're typically hearing like two or three office days a week being quite common but one of the one of the potential challenges I imagine is that for many companies those two or three days tend to be very similar you know we hear about the Tuesday Wednesday Thursday whereas Mondays and Fridays are, are quieter so how has flexible office providers evolved their practices to help enable that and does it pose a challenge that three days of the week are perhaps far more popular than the other two and, and what are the ways that you can offset that i think i think what's interesting when you operate a, an entire kind of flex building there's there's always additional space so the occupier tends to occupy technically occupy their own office which might be six eight mm. twenty fifty whatever it might be it's it's contained but actually there's a, there's always a huge kind of overflow space you can spill over into other areas of the building there's meeting rooms there's event spaces you know actually when you when when buildings get over a certain size and we always add sort of these additional amenities but you've got things like podcast studios we've got cafes we've got believe it or not we've got a bouldering wall in one of our buildings you know you've got all of these additional amenities that that can sort of lend themselves to that sort of overflow element and I think what we're seeing more and more is is that if you have the right provision of very flexible meeting space, I don't want to call them meeting rooms, but you know, event spaces or or spaces that can be, you know, rearranged very easily as per requirement, it means that actually you can cope with that demand. And and yes, I, we're seeing across the board Friday is just way quieter than anything else. But actually, Monday to Thursday, there's sort of very little deviation mm -hmm. um, around kind of, you know, the demand for, for the use of space. Yeah, I think we've seen that um, similar, you know, Friday tends to be quieter, but quite a number of our customers have taken less desks than they have employees. And they use our app to, you know, book their desks, but also they use the overflow, the amenity space. Whilst we're doing whole floors with uh, customers own meeting rooms their own kitchens etc to give them certainty that they've got space to meet in when they are in the office equally we have found they do spill out into the communal shared areas and those amenity spaces you know that's a big decision for us you know to you know whilst we're giving people all that they need in their own office space we're also adding in amenity space which you know has an opportunity cost you know capital cost to put it in and then an operational cost to keep it running but it's because people are really demanding it. And that's how we believe the model is going to continue to go. I think that that does pose an interesting kind of commercial question as well as how you charge for that space when people are taking fundamentally probably less space than they need and leveraging that overflow space. And I think that is something that a number of operators have grappled with in terms of, of how to manage that commercially. Um, I think just another point on this topic is you often see quite a lot of innovation in the sector coming out of the flexible workspace part of it. 
and a number of operators have been trying to or, or playing around with trying to address this point by offering shared offer space so potentially um, two companies kind of taking the same office and using them on different days um, I haven't seen kind of huge amounts of traction in this space as yet because obviously there's issues around security and, and things like that and the type of business that you are but that is definitely that people I think are, are trialing and testing to see if there are other ways to address this problem because otherwise you know a, a, an ex-colleague of mine has said people you know pre-pandemic were already paying for an office that they were only using five days out of seven and now if you're paying for an office that you're only using three days out of seven you have to think of ways that we can use that space for those other you know more than 50 percent of the week imagine that's you know one of the one of the problems you're all grappling with let's return to those letters that are on everyone's lips uh, esg uh, how is the flexible workspace industry adopting and implementing environmentally sustainable changes in the businesses uh, and within those shared workspace communities yeah so we it's it, it's incredibly important i think you know, we, we've all sat many a time in plenty of meetings where ESG is banded around. And actually, the truth is, there's a lack of probably understanding and clarity around it. Um, we actually earlier this year became a B Corp, which um, which has been really important for us. I hadn't realised before we started this process quite how intense and detailed that process really is. But you know, it took us probably 18 months to get there, and it's an incredible journey. And I think what it does is it it changes your mindset as a as a business first and foremost, how you operate, who your operating partners are, and, and what's important to the business. So really, you know, the fundamentals of the business do have to change so that it's not solely about profit; it's about a lot more than that. But it's important for us as a flex provider to be a B Corp because actually, you know, real estate is probably, I don't think probably, but is, is, is the single biggest kind of culprit of carbon emissions, you know, globally. Um, and I think, yes, we, we are not developers, we're not building, buildings go up and then we sort of tend to occupy. But what I think is really important about Flex is that it enables you to reuse space. And, you know, what tends to happen across the market is there's a cat A fit out and then tenant comes in and does the cat B and rips everything out and replaces it. And after, you know, five years hopefully but more likely three years that's going to get ripped out again through a dilapidations program and a new tenant comes in and replaces it it's so inefficient and it is it is so dangerous for the environment that actually use of flex means that we are kind of constantly recycling space yes we're having to tweak things a little bit we, you know you move some walls around but but nothing significant that, that's going to be impactful i think in the other part of esg really you know everyone very much focused on the environmental piece uh, which is critical but i think the s is often overlooked actually um and i think flex we find that as a flex provider you know that sort of social benefit to the wider market is so important we um you know we operate a lot of kind of um close to home working locations so we're fully integrated into our neighborhoods the way actually our business is set up is that we build an individual brand per location so that we can target specific markets in a in a specific way but actually what that means is that we have to really embed ourselves in local communities. We have to really understand the schools, those sort of parents doing the school runs, what time, what time of day they're coming in, and then actually looking to support the local community as well. So we open up our spaces to underprivileged members of the community. We'll set up events around that. And actually we're, we're fully integrated with that. So I think that S piece is kind of critical to the, the ESG credentials as well. I, I mean, I think I would 
mirror a lot of what Johnny has just said is often for flex operators where you're in part of a building then it's quite difficult to be the driver of the E and ESG and that's why actually it's really important to have a partnership between the operator and the landlord because the operator can be supporting the landlord um, in delivering their own kind of ESG targets and also there's a there's a whole chain right the way through because uh, again as Johnny's kind of touched on by managing the kind of end users of the space and the relationships with the end users that's all contributing to the delivery of those targets right the way through and yeah I was going to make exactly the the same point about the the S in ESG is I think from an industry perspective there's been a lot of focus on E until now and I think a lot of people are getting a lot more comfortable with that now Um, they know what they need to do necessarily the the how to do it and the funding of it is is another challenge but at least people understand what they need to do and I think S is now kind of coming into focus and I think from a lot of um, landlords love to hear what Simon says but um, you know they, they are talking about this very much as being top of their priority list and there is a natural fit there I think with flex operators in supporting the delivery of those targets. Yeah I think um, as you both said by its very nature flexible workspace is sustainable for the reasons Johnny sort of mentioned. I think one of the things that we look at with our approach is because we own and manage the buildings as Emma just alluded to we can take advantage of the fact that we can take a, a holistic approach to how we you know, treat energy consumption carbon footprint but also the partnerships that we have with the likes of Send Coffee or Nemi Tea who um, you know, we partner with across the whole portfolio we're also finding that quite a lot of our customers are leaning on our sustainability team to help them with their own reporting and you know, there is an acknowledgement that we are, within real estate, a big contributor or culprit, as Johnny mentioned. And, you know, there's a responsibility for us to, to do the right thing. And so whilst it's a very long journey, there are a lot of people with the right attitude who are taking on that responsibility. And I think that, in a way, is, is also seen as a differentiator. You know, it was previously it was considered a sort of moral code or an imperative to do it whereas there is a commercial side to this which is that those who do not embrace this will be left behind there are going to be stranded assets which don't meet energy rating but also you know just like we've been talking around hospitality if you do not provide the right kind of space and provide the right kind of service in the right kind of manner you're going to lose your customers and with the and and the s as, as we've kind of suggested it is a collaborative approach that requires landlords and occupiers to work together and in flexible space to to work together with providers as well. So are there ways in which landlords and developers can better understand the flexible office market and the occupiers that they're actually providing space for? I think we don't take a cookie cutter approach to how we design our spaces, a bit like space made, you know, every Every building's an individual building appropriate to its target market. What that does mean is that we are speculatively delivering space quite often, and that can result in you know, changes, which isn't you know isn't great. So, the advice is always you know just speak to customers. You know, the more that we speak to customers, um, the better we are at delivering space speculatively, and that's true of the HQ end as well as the flexible spaces end. Um, we just have as an industry been passive in the past you know four rent checks a year and we'll see you in five years when there's a rent review that's just not not the case anymore 
Yeah, I, I think we're seeing a very similar thing. I, I mentioned before our sort of brand approach to to um, to each building, and 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 it it is critical because it might sound like it's sort of just the name above the door or something that is is kind of a name and a and a logo, but actually it's embedded in what we do in each space and it and it's embedded in kind of the fundamentals of how that hospitality team on site are approaching people dealing with people you know we have spaces that are i would say sort of targeted much more towards professional services corporate occupiers you know be it on the strand or perhaps on building in leeds we also have spaces in east london or other areas of london that require a much more creative approach um very very different target market and you can't sort of tar everything with one brush you have to really understand that local market and we do that every time we take on a building or we're close to taking on a building we will kind of we will go out we will speak to our sort of target customers and i think we'll try and delve into what that building really needs how does a building owner need us as a flex provider to kind of deliver their sort of wider approach their business plan and and how can we support that and every building's different and every location's different and it's it's so much more about minutiae now i think just to add to that i would argue that every owner is different as well and so what works for one owner might not work for someone else and that's both in terms of what they want to deliver and how they want to deliver, whether that's through a partner, whether they want to do it themselves, like GPE, um, how they want to structure a relationship, how much involvement they want to have, what their objectives are for the space, all of this will have an influence on what's the right solution. One thing that's come up a couple of times as we've been talking is the, let's say, the elephant in the flexible workspace that is WeWork. Um, Its rise and fall has been well documented uh, even televised, uh, and um, obviously it's now seeking to renegotiate its leases across the globe. Is there a bit of a danger that the high-profile nature of WeWork in the public consciousness casts a little bit of a shadow over the, the sort of public reputation of flexible offices, and, and what lessons can be learned from from its experiences, do you think? Look, this is something obviously that is a, a constant conversation. You know, I, I've been in Flex for much longer than a decade, longer than than uh, WeWork have been in the UK actually. And, and I, it's always the topic of conversation. I think WeWork brought flex space into the public consciousness in a way that really sort of no brand's ever done it. In my view, you know, I think WeWork's probably the strongest brand that's ever been created in, in, in commercial real estate. Uh, no brand really has seeped into the public, public consciousness as much. And, and I, think, I think it's been a really interesting journey to watch, but what's happened over the last few years is that you've got, um, you've got a whole array of different occupiers, uh, sorry, operators to attract occupiers who have become more sophisticated and matured. I think WeWork's issue is not a demand issue because demand is strong. It was a it's a liquidity issue you know that business model as we all know as we've all discussed as we've all uh, watched on apple tv um it was flawed from the very beginning and and it was sort of felt like an, only a matter of time before something like this happened i i find it sad to see because i think i think they've done so much for the industry but equally i think what what's happened is we've got this kind of new breed of operator based on a, a far stronger business model and the fundamentals are far stronger that actually has is ready to take on that mantle a little bit and you've got great landlords like GPE that have sort of moved into this space um, 
because actually this is where the demand is. You know, there are so many businesses now that, you know, what we, we refer to as flex natives, they've, they've only ever been in flex space. You know, as a business, they've only known flex. So that's really where the demand is gonna be. And I think WeWork's kind of been a big proponent of delivering that, um, but you know, the, their business model, frankly, was not sustainable. And, and, and these sort of new operators are kind of creating much better products in a much more matured kind of market as well. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, definitely WeWork have been a sort of catalyst for growth and change in the industry. And I think that's, you know, had a positive impact in a, in a number of different areas. I, I think inevitably there's going to be some bumps in the road um, over the next few months. It's, it's hard to predict exactly how this is all going to play out. But there are more negative kind of headlines that may cause some people to lose confidence in WeWork as a brand. But I think the sector, particularly in the UK, is strong enough and robust enough, as Johnny says, to withstand that. And there are, you know, a number of other operators who haven't had the same challenges who are potentially looking to see this as, a, as an opportunity to continue to grow their own businesses. Um, I definitely hope that, you know, WeWork are, are still around because I think they still have um, definitely something to add in this kind of whole tapestry of what flex space looks like. Um, it'd be also interesting to see what happens kind of outside of the UK and, and in other markets because I would argue that the UK is probably the most competitive market for flexible workspace with the most breadth of flexible workspace operators and in other markets they, they just don't have um, the same depth so actually some of the nervousness around you know the, the kind of bigger operators has, has potentially a bigger impact on the sector as a whole um, outside the UK. I think you're both spot on. I mean, we don't have exposure to WeWork because um, for a long time we've had a policy that we don't want people to buy long and then sell short and leverage our assets. That's why we, we work with the likes of Johnny and, and Emma to deliver a sort of management agreement, a partnership where we feel it's necessary. I think there's a lot to admire about WeWork, as you both mentioned. I think um, they definitely tapped into a psyche and a type of demand and they were a disruptor, which frankly, the industry needed. I think since COVID, we've been leaning into the membership pool of WeWork because we felt that there was a maturity to a number of those customers who are looking for a credible, reliable business or building owner to provide the same kind of service. And so I think it's likely to be a net positive for us. I think on the fully managed side, there is definitely going to be, you know, because most of these centers that we're talking about in London are pretty well occupied in terms of numbers so you've got a number of companies in there who will either stay there and provide both emma and um, and johnny with an opportunity to perhaps step in and help landlords out or they'll you know be movers and that's where we could perhaps pick them up to come into our fully managed stock on the hq side clearly there could be a bump in the road if some of these buildings get released not intended sort of secondhand space but Again, that kind of plays back into that bifurcation story about the best and the rest. And, and actually, from our perspective, we don't really see what's going on as a, as a particular risk. I imagine other operators will be watching it very closely to see how landlords respond, because I, I would think there are perhaps some prized locations that, that might be of interest. No comment. <laughs> I think there are um, opportunities available in the market. Um, you know, there are probably a lot of landlords that are sort of 
worried at this point, but there is a product there, there is a membership pool there. Fundamentally, everything's in place. You know, how they then deal with that is up to each landlord individually. Okay, one final question to end just very quickly uh, from you all, a little bit of future gazing perhaps. Uh, Where do you see the flexible office space sector in 2030? I think we are sort of on the crest of a wave here. I think I think the direction of travel across the market is just hugely in the direction of flex. I think and I think that's brought on by sort of changing consumer demand fundamentally. You've got a lot of users that uh, you know want flexibility. They don't want kind of they don't want to invest their capital in sort of leasehold real estate and they just want to be able to kind of move quite fluidly through their um, real estate. So it doesn't matter what report you read, I think it shows that is the direction of travel, but we're sensing that as well. Yeah, we obviously have an ambition to grow into the flexible workspace and for it to be forty percent of our of our total portfolio, which is where we see the wider, certainly in central London market going. But we you know, we see that our buildings will be made up of core sort of HQ anchor occupiers on long leases. We'll have fully managed customers who are typically on sort of two to three year leases. And then we'll have a tranche of serviced office customers through partnerships. And that way we're going to access all grades of the market in a single building. It's what we created at a building called the Hickman in Whitechapel. And I think that for us was a, a starting point as we build bigger buildings. I think all three components will continue to be part of it. Yeah, I think there's there's no doubt in my mind that the sector will continue to grow and mature over the next few years. I think lots of people have tried to kind of project where it will get to in terms of a percentage of the overall market. And there was a stat that seemed to stuck um, a few years ago, sort of saying 30% of the market will be flexed by 2030. But for me, I think it always depends on, on how you define flexible workspace. So are you really just talking about co-working serviced offices, more the product that Johnny and his team offers? Are we talking about the managed space offer that um, GP have kind of been leading the way on and, and it depends where you define it so if you add those all together potentially kind of 30% is achievable but just picking up on something that Simon's mentioned a couple of times which I think could be an interesting um, overlay on this is around the bifurcation of the office market so we're definitely seeing this kind of traditionally and, and flex tends to follow the same trends but the point around the most in-demand spaces are the grade A spaces in the best locations with the right sustainability um, criteria with the best amenity and so on in that space. And so if that continues, as well as occupiers perhaps taking less space than they have done previously, what happens to all of this secondary space? I think there might be increased demand to put flex into those buildings if they're struggling to let up traditionally. But then is that really going to work if there isn't if we still can't find customers to go into those buildings so it could be interesting to see what happens and could be a, a growth and then maybe a bit mm. of a, a plateau or a leveling off in that area I mean, we see some of that as absolute prime opportunity because um, for quite a while now last decade or so uh, you can be quite passive as an owner of real estate in london and and it and it can throw off some good returns the way that the planning system is at the moment the way you know you need to focus on customer right now i think is probably going to um help specialists and and it's those specialists who can take a a what is considered to be a secondary asset 
turn it into prime that's the kind of cyclicality that we as a business have always enjoyed and has been harder to achieve over the last decade or so sounds like a subject that we could return to with a future podcast perhaps as things develop over the coming months and years thank you to johnny emma and simon for joining me you have been listening to the eg property podcast in conjunction with space made